Every life has a story, and every story is worth sharing. Your story, my story, and our story speak of victory and defeat, joy and sorrow, resilience and vulnerability. They are not just our story, they are Christ's story in us. They are Kingdom Stories from Down Under. It's not often that you meet somebody who really, really has a heart for the Indigenous Australians to such an extent that he is willing to go and spend time with them and bring revival in the name of the Lord. But not only in one place, but in many places throughout the West, Central and North Australia. With me in the studio tonight, I have John Blackett. John, welcome to the show. It's so good to, to have you and to chat about Australia. You know, this show is about Australia. It's called Kingdom Stories from Down Under. Yeah. And you have had quite a bit to do with the West and the Wild West of the Down Under and the Central Australia. And uh, not just in the metropolis, not, not just in Perth or in the towns and cities, but also in the outback. And God in some really, remote places. God has really brought revival everywhere you went. But where did it all start for you? Were you born in WA? No, I was born in Sydney. Okay. Um, my mother was a missionary with Aborigines before I was born. That, that So I've got a heritage sense. there. Okay. Um, and my dad, uh, he was on the Federal Field Council of the Aborigines Inland Mission. Mm -hmm. And were, they were well respected by Aboriginal people throughout the nation. And yeah, we often had a, people from all over the nation, Aboriginal people, staying with us in our house. Dad would not vote for anyone to join the mission as a missionary yes. until they had stayed in his home because he said that's the only way to get to know someone. That's very good. So um, when the... I, I was born in 42, 1942, and um, when I was four years old, I remember going on holidays. We didn't get away on holidays a lot, but uh, we went on a train up to Singleton Yes. And at Singleton, there was an old building that um, the, the mission had just purchased yep. and established as a Bible training institute for Aboriginal people. Beautiful. And so we went up there to, be, to see what it was like and to, to experience. And I, I vividly remember some parts of that holiday. Um, so where's Singleton, central New South Wales? Yeah, north? north of Newcastle. Okay. Yeah, not very far north. Um, and I don't, I remember a lot of bits of that holiday. Yeah. But I don't remember the point where my parents tell me on my fourth birthday during that holiday I made a commitment to the Lord. Wow. Um, through my primary school years I remember going to Christian Endeavour meetings and a number of times recommitting myself to the Lord yeah but by the time I was 15 and I was fed up with the church you know we were at the church three times on Sundays and during the week as well as well, well as meetings at home and yeah I'd, I'd had enough how old were you now 15 15. So your, your childhood years very connected to the church, to the, the, to the mission, ministry, people coming through. Yeah. Uh, have you learned to play any instruments? 
Yeah, I learned to play piano, classical piano. And Were you playing it in church? Uh, at around 14, 15, yeah, even before that I was playing for the Sunday school. Nice. Um, but, uh, yeah, when I was 15, my end of year exams, the intermediate certificate in New South Wales in those days. Yes. And there was a New Zealand missioner, Baptist missioner, uh, in our local suburb. And Dad was inviting everybody along to the meetings. And because it was in the middle of my exams, I managed to avoid it yeah. until a Saturday night. No, nah, Dad, I've got to study. Yeah, yeah. As you like do. heck, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but to keep the peace, I went. And the, the missioner told a story of his own life and a point where he did the wrong thing. And he was at a Boy Scout, Scout camp and he was one of the leaders. Yeah. And um, as a teenager, he'd gone to the local fair, which was against the rules. And, and the commandant pulled him in and said, you know the penalty for doing that. You're one of our leaders. We need you. Yes. And the penalty is you'll be sent home. Ouch. And the commandant packed his bags and went home himself. Yes. And, and God just hit me that that was what Jesus had done for me. Mm. And I recommitted myself to the Lord then, and I've never been the same since. Yeah. I just had such a hunger for God. Mm. My, my mother, my godly mother even said to me, you're, you're becoming so heavenly-minded, you're of no earthly use. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that continued right through primary school I'd, uh, or high, uh, the end of primary school. I wanted to become a, an aeronautical engineer or mm. an electrical engineer. So by the time I got to the end of uh, my high school, I uh, was admitted to Sydney University to, to, uh, to do engineering. Were you good with maths? Um, fairly good, yes. Yeah. Um, some parts were not as good as others. <laughs> yeah. What um, engineering? Mechanical, electrical, civil? Well, I, I was aiming at electrical or aeronautical. Mm -hmm. um, so you still in Sydney at this time? Yes, yeah, it was University of Sydney. Um, I'd, I'd been to a, a civil. You know, I've, I've actually graduated from there. I did my master at University of Sydney. Ah, yes. In, in uh, theology. Yeah, right. Well, I, I, I have a, a social work degree and a divinity degree from Sydney University. Well done. But um, along the way, there was a lot of ups and downs. Yeah. Um, so did you get into the university degree in the engineering or not? Yes. I'd, well, initially it was science. Yes. And the thought was that at the end of the first year I would swap to engineering mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the first year I failed one subject and that was two, one too many out of four. Um, no so summer I, school? Hmm? No summer school? No, no. <laughs> um, so I had to repeat and... The whole, uh, the whole year or just that unit? The whole year. Ouch. Did worse the second year. I failed two subjects instead of just one. Mm. And uh, sort of all my dreams came 
crashing down. Um, and yeah, you know, I'd done very well in primary school, top of the, the year and all that sort of thing. And gradually through high school, it sort of got further and further down the list. But um, yeah, that, that really rocked me. And uh, God, what do you want me to do? And uh, for 12 months, I, I worked in a menswear shop. Um, and towards the end of that year, my mother and my aunt were at me, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I was, I had come to a point where I had committed my life to missionary service and I thought it would be Africa or New Guinea, yeah. possibly as, as a pilot, an engineer or something of that sort. Yeah. But um, and my mother and my aunt kept saying to me, you should go teaching. No way. <laughs> That's the last thing I wanted to do, but all my other options just didn't Vanished. work. <laughs> and so I finally uh, went for an interview and um, was thinking, yeah, I'll, I'll teach maths and science, mm -hmm. particularly maths. Um, and the, the guy that interviewed me said, well, with your history of failure at university, um, we, we, you won't get a degree, so you will be in some backwater high school where the kids are hating to go to school and you will hate it and it, it won't go well. But you're um, welcome to have a job. Yeah, particularly as I had come through a selective high school, the, yeah. the top technical school in Sydney. That's where you studied? Yeah, that's where I went to high school. Yeah. Um, and uh, he said to me, look, um, we'll, we'll give you a scholarship for primary school. No way. Um, like to go to the college to study. Yeah. The teacher's college. Yeah. Um, that would have been two years. And, yeah. But um, I got on the bus leaving there and <laughs> the Lord sort of worked on me and said, you better accept this. Yeah. And um, so I ended up at Teachers College um, where I met my wife yeah. um, through a squash court particularly. Mm -hmm. But uh, I was never very athletic. But, uh, yeah, and at the three months, four months in, into it, we had uh, exams and like we were studying about a dozen or 15 subjects. Yeah. Um, and I failed too many of them. <laughs> <laughs> and I went to my GP and said, look, uh, you were treating me for tonsillitis at the time. Can you give me a certificate? Which he did, but said that wasn't the reason you failed. It was your <laughs> study techniques. Yes. Um, the tonsillitis in your study. <laughs> <laughs> so... With that, I actually went up to meet June's parents and stayed with them for a week or something or other. And June put her thumb on me. And so, how did you meet June? Through the squash courts at okay. Teachers College. Okay. And she was studying there as well? She, she was studying, yeah. Okay. Um, and um, yeah, I passed all the exams then. Um, 
So for, for the rest of our two years at Teachers College, the principal was making rude comments about people getting medical certificates to pass exams. Ouch. <laughs> but, um, and yeah, I, I enjoyed parts of Teachers College. Um, I was president of the Musical Society at Teachers College. And Beautiful. Yeah, I'd been playing the church organ and um, even learning classical pipe organ, um, which I loved. Um, wow. And, uh, yeah, so we uh, finished Teachers College and uh, June had, through my family, sort of become aware of Aboriginal things. And um, she decided that she wanted to go to a school where there were Aboriginal children. So just before that, how did you hook up in the end? Um, when did you get married? After that. After that? Yes. So you were friends now? Were you courting? Yes. Yes. Okay. okay. And it was a bit of an on again, off again, because June didn't come from a, a, a Christian family. Yeah. Although there are Christians, even ministers in her family, mm -hmm. one of her uncles. Um, but um, her father was very against the church. Okay. I won't say he was against God, but he was certainly against the church. Mm -hmm. And um, so I struggled with, is June making a commitment to the Lord because she wants me yeah. or because she wants the Lord? Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was a, a bit of a rocky time, but um, yes, by the time we left Teachers College, um, I actually had asked her parents if we could get married. Oh, beautiful. And her father said no. Um, Not beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I thought, what? How old was she, 21, 22? She was... 21, yeah. yeah. Um, but did you ask June first? Oh, yes. Of course. <laughs> yes. And then the mum, what about the mum? Or she didn't oh, have a she was, she was a moderating influence. Okay. But basically, Dad was saying, you have just finished teacher's college. Yeah. You need some time to get to know yourself and life yeah. before you make that commitment. No, that's fair enough. No. I can understand it now. It didn't at the time. No. But, um, yes, yeah, so... Uh, How long was the delay? Uh, it was... I think we got married in January 66. We were in college. We finished college towards the end of 64. So, so within a couple of years. Yeah. So June was appointed to a school that she didn't know such things existed, to an Aboriginal school on a, an Aboriginal settlement in the middle of New South Wales, a place called Murren Bridge, which is near Lake Kajelago, which is pretty much right in the centre of New South Wales. Double kind of area. Yeah. And I was appointed to, to Dubbo, which is... Oh, there you go. I'm prophesying, yeah. <laughs> Dubbo is, uh, you know, a couple of hundred kilometres north of there, uh, okay, north from... of, of where June was teaching and got down there a few times. Um, Both primary? Yes, yes. 
So you had to take a full class? Yeah. yeah. Um, what grade were you taking? Three, four? Three, four, that sort of area. Um, but I, I did end up with... Uh, I ended up at the same school as June. Oh, clever move. Um, and that was a four-teacher school, so it was four teachers for all grades up to high school. And they provided accommodation for you in town? Or no. Uh, interesting, I, I boarded with um, someone that June's parents had boarded with. <laughs> or her father had anyway. That might have been before they were married. But anyway, um, and she boarded with one of the uh, the farmer's wives that, she, that uh, her dad had known. And so dad arranged it all. Nice. Um, and um, we ended up, um, there, was, there was nowhere, no accommodation in Lake Ajilago for a married couple. Mm. Education didn't have it, and yeah, so we we bought a house. Um, so we, you got married there. Yes, we were there when we got married. So you uh, you didn't go back to Sydney to the wedding. You did it in town. No, we were married in Newcastle, which was okay. June's hometown, um, and and then went back to to was school. Was it a Christian wedding? Yes, it was uh, in the Methodist Church uh, because I was in the Methodist Church and June was a Christian by then. So, uh, yes. born again Christian? Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, so, but I didn't enjoy teaching. I uh, classroom discipline and me don't get on very well. <laughs> June has had to sort of be the moderating force in our family, bringing up our children, yeah. um, where I would say yes and mum would say no. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was one of our learning experiences. <laughs> um, nice. So, yeah, I, I was unsettled teaching. Oh, maybe I'll go farming. Maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll do something else. And maybe manual arts teaching and um, the first three years of teaching in those days you had to pass an inspection by the area inspector. Yes. My first inspection, the boss was, it was while we were in this small Aboriginal school, the boss was homesick the day the inspector arrived, so the kids were going mad. <laughs> um, there was, a, was it a thunderstorm or something? I ended up with some of the kids under their desks um, and, you know, didn't show any control. Yeah. And so the report which the, the boss... Um, sort of preempted a lot of what the inspector wrote. Yeah. And it was not good. The, the boss was also tired and ready to move on to another school. So. Mm. Uh, the following year, a second inspection to, to make up for the bad one, um, 
and a new boss who was very ambitious and he was going to prove everything and he had the school so organised. And the classroom was a totally different situation when the inspector came and got through, no worries. Um, but he also said, if you're going to stay teaching, you need to, to get a degree mm -hmm. rather than just a two-year certificate course. Yeah. So we decided that we'd move back to Sydney mm -hmm. to do some further study. Um, no children yet? Not then, no. And um, I thought, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll do a music degree. Mm. And I talked with the uh, professor at music and uh, yeah, it was all arranged. I had one year where I was doing part-time um, one subject at, at Sydney Uni uh, as part of an arts degree. I was teaching full-time. I was also doing a bit of stuff at the conservatory and timpani percussion and cello and stuff. Nice. Um, yes, um, but not really helpful in, in passing degrees. No. So even though everyone was expecting me to get a credit in English, I failed so badly in the exam that they wouldn't even give me a remark. Mm. And again, the, everything fell down around my ears um, and uh, went teaching in another school for another year. Um, but I, oh, that's right, I had a, a period where I was a driving instructor because yep. that was going to pay my way through my music degree. Mm. Um, and I remember June had gone back to school. I got home from a driving lesson and just got down on my knees and cried out to God and said, God, what do you want me to do? Yeah. And straight away the answer came. It was like God saying, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was very clearly go into the ministry of the Methodist Church. You're joking. Um, all my life I've been brought up in the Methodist Church. I ran away from it. Well, no, I never really ran away from it, but, you know, Not as a job. wanted to avoid it. But um, I'd had my parents criticising the, the Methodist Church because it was too liberal and... Um, <laughs> I still remember my mother after one service, we had a student pastor came and, and, and preached and uh, at the end of the sermon he said, Amen, and my mother, not loudly but quite audibly to almost everyone in the small church, said, I wouldn't say Amen to that. Ouch. <laughs> That's the sort of background I had to liberalism mm. in the Methodist church. and. So when I went and told my father what I felt God had said to me, no, not the Methodist Church, not the House of Heresy. <laughs> go to the Anglican College, go to the Baptist College, anywhere but there. Not the Methodist. And I said, Dad, you brought me up a Methodist. I'm not going to get out and throw stones at glass houses. Yes. I'm going to get in there and do what I can to change it. Because I had something of that John Wesleyan Methodism in me. 
yeah. that they had brought me to. Mm. And when I was candidating for the Methodist ministry that year, I had to go to a, a, a synod, area synod meeting and uh, someone was speaking out the front and um, I don't know what they said, but there's a guy sitting in front of me and I found out, and June said to me afterwards, that was Roger Bush. Roger Bush had his poster up all over Sydney because he had a radio program. He was a Methodist minister. Yeah. Um, but it was a very popular nice. radio program. Mm -hmm. um, and Roger turned around to me with me not knowing who he was and saying, do you believe in a personal devil? You're on theologically shaky ground if you do. Excuse me, of course there's a personal devil. That, that's what it says in the Bible. That's what I've grown up believing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was too flabbergasted to, to even Answer. reply. Yeah. But, um, and I said to our local, or a guy who had been our local minister when we were at uh, Murren Bridge, I said, what do you do to keep your faith in a place like this house of heresy. Yeah. And uh, his answer was not very helpful, but he said, what you go in as, you'll come out as. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it was an interesting time because the, uh, the boards of the church said, well, you've matriculated to university, you should do a university degree. And, with my history, no, I just wanted I the basic it. certificate. But um, they, uh, they managed to convince me to apply and I said to June, you know, what am I going to apply for? I've been kicked out of engineering and science Did and you? arts and, and uh, New South Wales Uni won't have me and uh, Macquarie Uni wouldn't have me. Um, and she said, why don't you try social work? What's that? Um, and I enrolled in a social work degree, which I was thinking I would be doing a three-year minimum um, sort of course. Yes. Um, instead of that, social work was four and a quarter years um, mm. with a lot of practical work. But during that time, I developed a sense of community. Like in social work, you could do either personal counselling as yeah. a major or group work as a major. And at Sydney University at the time, community work was not a major. It was sort of a, a minor. Yeah. But that was where my heart was. I ended up with a placement in one of the local council areas working with youth um, and... Uh, yeah, so I finished that and then, of course, I had to do a Bachelor of Divinity at Sydney University and all that that involved, including some of the most liberal teachers um, in the, the university, um, Barbara Thiering and people like that. Um, but, yes, it was a, a, a real experience of learning to study other people's views and being able to put them down on paper in yeah. an exam or in a, an essay um, 
without agreeing with them at all. Um, I, I should add that from the time I went to teachers, uh, time I went to to uni to do my social work degree, yeah, I only ever found one subject mm. in seven years. Wow, um, it was definitely your gifting. I was where God wanted me. Yeah, finally. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, cut a long story short, I finally ended up um, graduating and, uh, but the, the year before, 12 months before, we had some friends that we'd known who were working as missionaries in Central Australia with Aborigines, yeah. and came and stayed with us in, in our holiday home on Lake Macquarie. and. Um, just something clicked as they talked about their experiences and I just knew that that was where God wanted me. And so I um, started talking with the mission board of the church and uh, over that year it was sorted out and uh, two-thirds of the way through the year I went up to Elko Island um, to see if the community would be happy for me to come and work as their community worker. Now, for those people who don't know what Elko Island is? Elko Island is North Australia, um, Arnhem Land, about 350 kilometres east of Darwin. Mm -hmm. So the flat top, Darwin's on this side, and um, Elko is over towards the other side. Um, Close to Indonesia? More? Uh, no, more the, the southern tip of South uh, of New Guinea. Okay. Yeah, um, but not quite over as yeah. far as Torres, Torres Straits. Straits. And this is um, uh, an Australian island? It's an Australian island about a mi mile off the mainland. Mm -hmm. It's about 35 miles long and convert that to kilometres, yeah. but yeah. yeah. And, and what's five, on, five what's miles on that island? Um, the, it's virgin bush. Yeah. Um, an Aboriginal community that was established by the Methodist Church in 1942. For the purpose of? To uh, introduce Aboriginal people to Western society mm -hmm. rather than just living in their tribal society to bring healthy alternatives for food and medical and, and also the gospel. The missionaries who established that place worked in, a, in that part of Arnhem Land for 50 years. They didn't have any children and uh, they dedicated their lives to it. And they were still there when, when we right. ended up moving there. Mm -hmm. In fact, so how, how many Aborigines were on Elko? Oh, it was about a thousand. And uh, Westerners or? A uh, hundred. Only? Yeah. Um, so there was a township that Sheppey had established with yeah. an airstrip, a hospital. There were no doctors at that time. Mm -hmm. um, a sawmill because there was a logging industry with the local pine trees. Yeah. A fishing industry. Um, a clothing industry, uh, a, a local uh, supermarket, um, 
What about farming? There, yes, there was um, a market garden, mm -hmm. um, and uh, they were producing bananas and sweet potatoes and um, various other yep. fruit. Yeah. So yeah, I went up there to visit. Um, the church wanted June to go with me, but at that time, I was struggling educationally again because not only was I studying full-time a social work degree, plus college requirements where I had to be there for breakfast twice a week, mm. even though we were living in a flat separated. Uh, and, and actually for four years I'd said to the college, I am starving spiritually yes. uh, in this ethereal vacuum of theological college and one of the ministers in one of the parishes had said to me, John, you've got a social work degree. Why don't you come and work with us as a student pastor? Yeah. Oh, but you can't do that as a student, um, a student pastor, if you're doing a university degree, only if you're doing the certificate course. Um, but somehow they, they allowed me to. So I spent two years out in Green Valley, which was a new housing estate of 40,000 people that the government had set out yep. um, out near Liverpool. And um, I was there for two years doing that, an hour's drive into uni three or four times a week. Um, Adventure. Yeah. And, and then the, the, the local church said, oh, you've still got another two years to go. We, we need somebody full time. Yeah. So then this minister who had got me into that position was now in the home missions office and said, John, we need somebody to run a hostel for teenage delinquent boys, teenagers. Mm. Um, why don't you do that for us? So I was, I was running this hostel for teenage delinquent boys, up to nine of them, um, as, as well as doing a full-time degree and yeah, all the rest of it was So for crazy. you going to Elko was uh, an escape from all these responsibilities? Oh, yes, it was. <laughs> it was so also, you went first? I, I went up. Uh, June just couldn't leave. We had three young children by that stage. Hmm. Um, and I mean young. The, the oldest would have been just in, in primary school, five-year-old. Yeah. Um, and, and to run the hostel, we had a full-time youth worker as well, yeah. uh, as well as a social work visitor, um, et cetera. But, yeah, it, it was just crazy. And I was really drowning. Um, the, the lecturers at uni and, and the old college expected me to fail at the end of my final, final year. <laughs> Again. Um, they, they just, you no hope for John Blackett. Yeah. <laughs> um, I went to Orco to, to view this job, um, loved it, in and out of light aircraft and yeah. uh, out to the very remote places where there were just small family groups like 20 or 30 people living there. Yeah. Um, with the, the, the job was to help them to develop uh, their market garden if they had one, Yep. Their radio communications, yep. their, their health and, and food and, and all of those sort of things. 
and yeah, that that just really appealed adventure, to me. Yes. Adventure one one. Oh yes, and so I, I came back from that just fired up. But meanwhile, June had been through hell. The the guys just went mad because I was their security, and they knew yeah. that I was looking for another job. And even so the they most turned against her. The, the most stable of them took a sickie from work and they we had a, a pool table and they, they threw the pool balls through the, the, the ceiling and stuff like this. It was just, ah. um, But I came back ready to really tackle that last term of work. Yeah. And, and I passed and everything. Off and I passed everything. And... Uh, that, yeah, that is God. I yeah. mean, God showed me which questions were going to be in the exam paper to yeah. study this section of it because yeah. the holes in my knowledge was just so huge. Yeah. Um, but the basic thing of university is knowing how to find out what you needed to know yeah. and how to analyse it rather than knowing everything. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, we were accepted uh, to to go up to Elkhill Island. And June was okay with June, taking the trip? June, June was very happy at the thought of it. So the kids homeschooled or there was a school on the There's school there, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Aboriginal classes, yeah. but basically there was a, an English-speaking class that was for the best of the Aboriginal kids who could cope with that yeah. and the, the white staff kids. Um, on the way, we had three months in Darwin to do a community work course at Noomalinya College, which is the combined churches college, uh, Christian college in Darwin. And that was an incredible experience also. So you were learning about... The culture as well, anthropology, right. animism. And I'd studied three, two or three years of anthropology in my yeah. degrees and, and as well as psychology and all the rest of it. Um, but, yeah, we were studying all that sort of thing. And, and then after three months, we moved out to Elko Island um, for another three months of that course and, yeah. and then a final week uh, at one of the other. What was, uh, what was the term of your appointment? Were you going to be there for five years, three years, or not known? Uh, it was two years initially, um, okay. but that was expected to be renewed. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the two years at Elko was also a time where in, in the last few years we... In, in Sydney, we'd experienced something of the movement of the Spirit of God. Yeah. Um, my, my parents were not in favour of Pentecostalism mm. and speaking in tongues and that sort of airy-fairy rubbish. Um, but they believed in healing because they had both experienced it. Yeah. My, my father had copped 32,000 volts off a train electric lines when he was doing some surveying, holding a metal tape that was dropped onto it. He survived? 
well, nobody expected him to survive, but he did, and you wouldn't know the difference except his hands and a few other places he was scarred. Um, but he was a very determined man. Yeah. Um, my mother survived cancer with wow. a number of years, and their, their marriage was delayed because of it. But uh, and the doctor said to, to Dad, "Don't marry that woman; the cancer will come back." But, it never did. Praise God. Um, so they believed in, in healing. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, we were in a church that had had a, a move of the Spirit of God. For the last, No, in the last four years in Sydney. Okay. And we were looking for more of God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I could see also that there were so many people who were thrill-seeking with the Holy Spirit. Mm. They wanted all those fancy things. Yep. But I could feel that they, they, they weren't wanting God himself. Mm. And I just said, God, I, I don't want that sort of rubbish. Mm. And, yeah, I'd been forward at meetings in Salad June asking for for the gift of tongues, yeah, um, but uh, that hadn't happened, and we got up to Elko Island, and one fairly early stage, I I felt that there was something more that I I didn't have um, that I desperately wanted, and I said, God, I I don't care what it takes, mm. I want it. And the second year at Ilka Island, oh, let, let me just say that before I got there, yep. some of the staff had been baptised in the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Back in Sydney? Um, I know one. Well, at, at Ilka Island or oh, yeah. in other places when they yep. were on holidays or whatever. And uh, they were told by the authorities in the church in Darwin <laughs> We don't want any of that stuff out at Elko Island messing the people up. Hallelujah. <laughs> Bring but, it on. But they kept praying and, and they started seeing the Aboriginal people uh, miraculously healed yes. from death situations, etc. Mm. And the second year we were at Elko, the Aboriginal minister and he was unique in that he had had special training in the Aboriginal way and in New Guinea in the theological college there. Yeah. And he was later granted an honorary doctorate um, and became the theologian of the revival that happened there. Wow. Um, but he was the parish minister and he was going to be away for Pentecost Sunday and he asked me to preach. Mm. which she did every now and then um, because by then I was ordained. I was ordained at Elko Island during my first year there Yes, um, with authorities of the church coming from all over the place. <laughs> all and, the heavyweights. Yes, and, and, and all the, the milk, milk bottle gowns that we used to wear. Um, but uh, it was an evening service out in the open air 
where they had a the church had an open air theater uh, for showing Billy Graham films or whatever. Yeah, um, and that's where I was ordained. But that last year, when I was asked to preach on Pentecost Sunday, as I was preaching, I just—it's—it's it's got to be God. Yeah, I said, why wouldn't God? do what he did at Pentecost here today at Gullywinkle. Mm. And it was like it lit a fire in people. Yep. There was, some of them had a, a, some yeah. embers there, but it just lit a fire. And, and the prayer that, that really increased that year. And then um, the church asked us to move to Alice Springs. And, and when the business manager came out to Elko and sat at our dining table and told us, Jen said, what if we say no? Oh, we haven't got a plan B. It's good that she, she had more courage to, <laughs> to say it. Um, yeah, we didn't want to leave and the, the Aboriginal people didn't want us to leave. Yeah. But during that time, God had organised things so that instead of me being a single community worker with an Aboriginal co-worker, there was a whole team of Aboriginal uh, community work team. Yes. So that this family group had someone on the team and that family had, group had someone on the team and there were health workers on the team. Mm. And so it, it had developed in our tiny little office that was about a quarter the size of this room yeah. um, to a team of about a dozen people. Wow. And I knew that one of them would be able to take it over. In fact, the person who was replaced me was a Fijian missionary yes. who was actually working in Arnhem Land as a, a horticulturalist. Mm -hmm. uh, and market gardens and stuff. But he was fluent in the Aboriginal language. He'd mm -hmm. been there long enough. Yep. And he had an ability to. And and he had done the community work course. Yes. And the church didn't know what to do with him. And I said, well, you can send him here. We need some help. And I, I, it was like a flippant comment. Yep. But um, the church appointed him to come out for three months and they actually stayed in his in the fa the house with us. We had a flat underneath with his children. And uh, at the end of the time when we moved to Alice Springs, he took over. Nice. And that community work team developed to being a multi-million dollar enterprise with its own barge and and all sorts of equipment wow. and goodness knows what else after I left. Beautiful. Um, so we found that God put us into a lot of pioneering experiences. Yeah. I mean, that, that job at Elko, that, that being Sheppy, the missionary who started the place, and, and he was a community worker, really, even yeah. though that wasn't his title. But the guy who was doing the job before me was went there as a plumber. Mm. And somehow got put into the position, he didn't have a clue on 
community work. Yeah. Um, whereas I had years of training. Yeah. So, so you ended we, up in Alice Springs. We ended up in Alice Springs, um, and yeah, the part of the story that I didn't add was that my last week at Elk Island. Uh, at about ten or eleven o'clock one Friday night, um, the Holy Spirit dis descended on a group of white fellows. Hallelujah. who were praying. Um, we actually got together to pray for somebody who'd been on a plane that day and had really bad earaches and the nursing sisters couldn't help. And so we got together to pray for her. And the guy who was a visitor had been on staff for, for a number of years and was studying anthropology, doing a doctorate in Canberra, yep. had come back to see if he could do his field work with yep. the... Aboriginal people, and um, he uh, he was leading this meeting and finding inadequacy all around the room that people were expressing, and uh, he just said, "Let's let's just seek the Lord," and and then it came to the point where it, it came time to pray for Mary, and John said to the person whose house we were in, have you got some oil? And she went to the kitchen and grabbed a bottle of cooking oil, Yeah. brought it out, and John says, here, you're the priest because I've been ordained. Um, anointed with oil. What? How do you do that? I've never seen anyone anointed with oil. There was no method in the Methodist church. <laughs> Not in that area anyway that we knew about. So I went to Mary and I tipped it over her head because the only thing I knew was about oil was that from the Old the, Testament. The Old Testament and that running down Aaron's beard. Beard in the psalm. <laughs> Mary told us years later that she was never the same again. I'm sure. <laughs> and and I was never again the, the same because I started. She got she got healed. And yes, you started speaking in tongues. I started speaking in tongues and prophesying. And, and John said to me, have you ever done that before? And I said, done what? Prophesy. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> That's sort of my level of knowledge of it. But um, so, yeah, with, with that fresh experience um, and also something that happened that night, like that prayer meeting went till 2 o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. and might have been 3 o'clock. But around 2 o'clock, John said, I see, I feel like I'm 70 miles tall looking down on Arnhem Land and yeah. North Australia yeah. from the north and there's a thick black cloud hanging very low over this part of Arnhem Land. Yeah. And he said, I know what its name is. And he named the Aboriginal Prince Spirit of the area. Mm -hmm. And he said, I believe God wants us to cast it out. Wow. So we took authority over that spirit. And John said, I see that cloud going out down south and over the southeast and southwest corners of Australia, yep. out into the ocean. 
Milko Island was never the same. It's cleansed. The power of the Spirit of God. And like we left a couple of days later. But it erupted behind you. So the volcano erupted yes, behind you. Yeah. Uh, just a couple of weeks later, or nearly all the staff, the European staff, were away on holidays because that's the wet season and you don't get much work done. So that's the time to go on holidays yeah. and visit your family. And even the Aboriginal minister was away. Mm. And after church on Sunday morning, a few of them gathered around a fire down on the beach. And someone had a guitar and they started singing. And the Spirit of God just brought a unity between them like they've never experienced before. Yeah. And they started writing songs in their own language and everything. And before we'd left there, Jenny, the Aboriginal minister, had asked me, who do you know around Australia who we could invite because we want to have a mission? And I said, well, I know one person who'd be great, and that's Dan Armstrong. Mm -hmm. You know of him? I had, yep. Um, Dan and, and I and... Our wives and families had got connected before we left Sydney. Yeah. They came out and conducted a mission mm. uh, out in Green Valley and uh, that parish. And Dan had just be, be, been made the state missioner. And so in New South Wales. In New South Wales. So you invited, you asked for his So I suggested. Commission. I suggested him and the parish council, the Aboriginal parish council, invited him. And a few months later, Dan, who was parish minister in O'Connor in Canberra, mm -hmm. took a small team up to O'Connor Island. And Dan, in Dan's word, we got there on the crest of a wave. Beautiful. There were just so many people who had found the Lord yes. during those few months. Yeah. And during that 10 days, I think it was, that he was there, there was not a family there that wasn't touched. By the Holy yeah. and, and Dan's been back many times. Dan has a, an adopted Aboriginal daughter, mm. and so he had an experience with Aboriginal people, mm. but he'd, he'd never really had anything to do with the tribal people before that, but he has since a lot. Dan's now 92 and still preaching. And, <laughs> Um, full of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. We got to Alice Springs um, to start and pioneer a new work yep. with the town camps of Aboriginal people mm -hmm. who um, were, were living on the fringes of, of parts of Alice Springs. Yeah. And some of them just shanties. A few of them had some sort of housing. Yeah. Um, and the, the, my, my Fijian boss in Arnhem Land had said to me, John, when you get there, you go and sit on that hill, Anzac Hill in the middle of Alice Springs, and you watch the Aboriginal people until you feel their heartbeat. Wow. The first Sunday there, after the service at 
the John Flynn Memorial Church there, Uniting Church there, an Aboriginal guy walked up to me and he said, I've been waiting for you to come. Mm. He was from an Aboriginal community in the top end of South Australia, a place called Ernabella or Pugatja. And um, he was living in Alice Springs. Mm. And he sort of, I've been waiting for you. Um, you come with me this afternoon to the town camps because we need to have have conduct church services there. Yeah. I've just been told to sit on the hill and wait. Um, so Wally and I started and he became co-worker with me and ministering in the town camps in Alice Springs. Yeah. It was interesting because up till that point, my community work had been secular mm. in, in many senses of the word. It, it was the, the radio communications, the, um, all the, the physical sorts of things, helping people get water systems going for their market gardens and all the rest of it. But from that point, it became a spiritual work. Yep. Because there were already people doing the physical side yes. of things, the educational system, the yep. Tanajira um, school systems, and things like that, other people were doing it. So they yep. didn't need me. So they only needed you spiritually. Yeah. And a few months later, Wally came to me with one of the other Aboriginal guys from his community and said, we've been wanting to hold a convention for Aboriginal people for the whole of Central Australia, all the different tribes. Yeah. No one will help us. I said, well, why not? Let's do it. I went to the elders of the Uniting Church. Yeah. And I wasn't employed by them, but I, in courtesy, they, they had the spiritual oversight. And I said, this is what they are wanting to do. And this is when we're going to do it. Well, you can't do it in six weeks. You know, that's, that takes a lot more to organise. I said, it's an Aboriginal thing. It will either happen or it won't. Yeah. It's, it, don't think about it with the Western mind. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. And so in the process of things, I invited the Island people. Yep. If some of them wanted to come down. Beautiful. Well, I expected half a dozen. I mean, by the time you get on a plane from Elko Island to Darwin, to Darwin and, then, and those fares are expensive, and then, Darwin, and then Alice down Springs. to Alice Springs. Again expensive. And accommodation and all the rest of it. Over 30 of them came down. Wow. And they came because they had experienced the Holy Spirit that year. Yep. They were full, and they wanted they were to le learn more about it. Yeah. And instead of that, they were teaching Central Australian Aborigines about it. Beautiful. It was just an incredible experience. So the Aborigines. conference did happen? It did happen with about 350 people, wow. Aboriginal people. Um, the, the Baptist church out at Yundamu, some of them came in and they put on a Christian corroboree telling the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Awesome. All dressed up in traditional Aboriginal styles with the, the stomping and, and the, the way that they sing and everything. And they 
they didn't have the Bible in their own language at all. Yeah. Elko Island, um, during that revival, the Bible portion for each Sunday was translated into a local language awesome. so that every Sunday, Jinuni was able to preach in their own language. Beautiful. Um, but the Baptist missioner out at Yundamu uh, had actually sat down with the people and word for word they had translated um, the story of the, the death and resurrection of Christ to make that into an Aboriginal corroboree. Mm. And um, so they performed that and that was, that was a, an incredible experience, a real breakthrough thing. And since then, you know, I've experienced so much of Aboriginality where people are on the cutting edge yeah. and not always with discernment. Mm. In fact, the one thing I've said about Aboriginal people is they are very spiritually sensitive. Yes. They, they are aware of all the spirits. They see the spirits in the room and all this sort yeah. of thing. I don't. Yeah. But I sense in my spirit when they're saying something from God. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've also seen many times when things have, have been no way that's not from God. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I could tell you a lot more about that. How did you end up in WA? Let's fast forward a little bit because we've only yeah. got a few more minutes left. Yeah. Um, my time being employed by the Uniting Church in Alice Springs came to an end financially. How long were you there for? Three and a half years. Mm -hmm. And we were looking to the possibility of becoming a parish minister in Darwin and a new housing estate and various other things. But we went to a conference on the Holy Spirit in the Methodist Church in uh, Singapore. Mm. regional thing and um, a lot of people there. And there was a, an elder in the church in Geraldton here in WA Yep, was at the conference. And I was sitting there talking with him at one stage and told him that I was at a change point. Yeah. And next thing I get an invitation to be the parish minister in Geraldton. In the Uniting Church or in, in the Methodist? Uniting Church. Oh. Because the, the the Methodists had be, become part of the yeah, United United Church, yeah. and I um, I didn't know why God wanted to take me out of Aboriginal work. My boss in the, in Alice Springs was saying to me, John, you can't leave here. I mean, you've there's there's all this spiritual revival happening in yeah. Alice Springs, and and you, I'd taken I'd actually learnt to fly while I was in Alice Springs, and I'd oh. flown a team out to Warburton Rangers in Western Australia and seen the community there totally transformed from one of the worst communities in Australia yeah. to every family uh, um, touched Plus. by the Spirit of God. Wow. And Margaret said to me, John, you can't leave. With yeah. I said, well, if it's God, he, he will teach them. He will do what's necessary. Yeah. And that was the cry of my heart as we left Alice Springs and drove to Geraldton. We drove up through the Kimberley um, with our two dogs and three daughters 
Um, what an adventure. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and But saying, God, why have you put us in parish ministry? Mm. Um, we had very little to do with Aboriginal people while we were there for six and a half years. Um, but there were things that God needed to teach me. And the girls finished school in Kalgoorlie and they moved to Perth to study university. What did they do? Uh, in Geraldton. Um, oh, in Geraldton you came, not Kalgoorlie. Yeah, Geraldton. Okay. Yeah. And um, our oldest finished high school there and she moved down to Perth. We managed to buy a house for her to live in, um, which might have been one of the worst things we ever did, but she wanted to have some independence um, from the straitjackets of church life and all the rest. Yeah. Um, and yes, after she'd been down here in Perth for 12 months, we, we moved down here too um, because the, the church decided that I'd done my term in Geraldton and uh, it was time for someone else to take up the reins. And so you moved to Perth? Moved to Perth because I felt God saying, now it's time to get back into the work that I called you to. I learned what he wanted me to learn, hopefully. Yeah. And so we established KSED Ministries. Mm -hmm. um, God, let me join YWAM or um, this organisation or that organisation. No, I had to start my own. And in hindsight, I know why, because if I joined another organisation, I would have been straightjacketed to what yeah. they wanted. And God again wanted me into a pioneering situation. An apostolic leader, you break ground. I, I found, find that word apostle very difficult. Still? I, ex I, I know it's true. Um, well, just, just as you believed in the Holy Spirit and the pouring of the Spirit in our generation, we have to, I think, believe that God restores the fivefold to exactly. its full capacity. Exactly. Prophets and apostles. And when we left Elko to move to Alice Springs, we went to a conference in Sydney on the Holy Spirit in the church. It was an international conference. Yeah. The director, the, the, the founder of Youth with a Mission was one of the speakers. Yeah. And there was, before the main conference, there was a, 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 a gathering of about 350 church leaders. We went to it. We'd been told we, we wouldn't find anyone anywhere in the world who had a clue on how to go about the pioneering work in Alice Springs. Thanks a lot, Lord. <laughs> and June said to me after Lauren Cunningham had spoken one day, maybe Lauren's got someone that he can connect us to that might help with his worldwide connections. So I, I spoke to him after the meeting and he said, I want to see you after the meeting tomorrow because I'm speaking on this. He spoke. Sorry. That's okay. He 
spoke of the apostles and pioneers. And for 10 years or more after that, I knew he had spoken to me, that God had spoken to me. Yeah. That it made sense of so much of our marriage, our, our June's strengths and my strengths and, and the, the experiences we'd been through. Yeah. But there was still something that, even though I accepted that there was a ministry of apostleship today, that yeah. it didn't die out. Yeah. It was just too awesome for me to acknowledge. And at one point, while we were in Geraldton, I was feeling God leading me back into Aboriginal work. And I'd written a paper explaining what I was feeling to the elders of the local church. Mm. And I used the word apostle. And it freaked them out. Didn't go well. It did not go well. And yeah, I was basically kicked out of the church up there. Not really, but that's the way June certainly felt it. Yeah. And um, as far as the... the, We accepted you with uh, the prophetic gift. We accepted you with the speaking in tongues, but now you've gone too far, John Luckett. Yeah. Yeah. You you actually believe the full gospel. (laughs) So we moved to Perth and I established KCED Ministries. God, I am not... Establishing John Blackett Ministries. Um, and Kay said was a word that God gave me from Deuteronomy uh, 7, verse 12. Um, the uh, Kay said is, is the word of, of God's covenant of mercy. Wow. And I didn't understand why he gave me that, but that was the name he gave me. And... Um, Basically, that's been a ministry across Australia and beyond, um, working alongside Aboriginal people, encouraging them to rise up and to to be the people God's called them to be. Yeah. With the special giftings and anointing, and 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 um, calling that yeah. God's put on them that we can't do as white that's fellas. Right. No. Um, and a prime example of that is Jody, who is in our church, yeah. an Aboriginal lady whom you've uh, invested in and fathered and mentored and taught, and she's operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit in a, in a way, in a refreshing way, and especially when she ministers to the Aborigines. We have no clue um, yeah. that, you know, no matter how much we've learned about that, uh, you know, just she has that natural ability with a supernatural touch to impact lives. To, yeah. And that's why I love what you've done is because you've invested in them, in the local people. That's true mission work. Yeah. It's, you know, they're not spoon-fed, they're not waiting for the next, uh, you know, a spoon, but they are actually working and they're operating in their gifting and they're teaching others and equipping others and you, are, you have released many of them. Now, you have, you have something amazing on your heart um, and I don't want to finish this uh, video cast before we listen to that. Um, something there's a talk about a cross in Central Australia. Take us, take us there, okay. please. Okay. Well, crosses have been very special to me. Of course. How long have we got? Uh, Three or four minutes. Yeah, that's fine. I, I, 
We, we went, Joan and I went to a, a, an Easter camp run by Aboriginal people down on the south coast. Mm -hmm. And it rained nearly all weekend. We were in tents. And um, the Aboriginal guy who was a real apostle, mm -hmm. uh, Ronnie Williams, a lot of people would know him, uh, but he's with the Lord now. Ronnie asked me and one of the Aboriginal guys to lead communion on the Easter Sunday morning. Yep. The children had been making crosses with sticks and a bit of grass to tie it together. Yeah. And as a minister, communion has always been very special to me. Yes. Um, and I, I said to this other guy, what can, how can we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the cross? We ended up, we got a foam cup and we taped it onto a, a larger cross that we made up and taped it at thigh level yeah. rather than the side. And we poured some grape juice into it. Yeah. And we had a communion service where we made a spear and we speared the foam cup and the juice ran down onto the ground. Mm. The Lord developed that to be a, a sort of ceremony um, that uses the, the story of the woman caught in adultery and brought to Jesus. Mm. And, and what the Lord showed me to say was Jesus, um, at the throne of God, Satan will be there with a rock in his hand with your name on it. Mm. And he wants to throw it to, at you to kill you. But Jesus is standing in front of you. You are behind the cross. To get to you, he's got to go through the cross. Yeah. And the blood of Jesus. Mm. And I get everybody to pick up a stone. Mm. If it's inside, I take some stones. And, and just think about what's on that stone. And now come and drop it at the foot of the cross. Yeah. And we spear that, that cup so that the blood runs down over it. Yeah. So when I heard that... Ken Duncan and a group of Aborigines in Hearts Bluff had this vision. Um, well, I should say the Aboriginal people had the vision and they dragged Ken Duncan into it. Yeah. Um, of a large cross yeah. on a, a, a very high hill yeah. in Central Australia. Mm -hmm. And Ken just really heard their story and realised that it was from God. And so he and, and others have, have come around the, the concept. This cross has been partly erected. It hasn't been finished yet in Central Australia on a, a high hill where you've got 360-degree vision for, for miles and miles. Yeah. And Is there a road or a transit uh, nearby? Or? There's there's a road that go a track that goes somewhere near it, and they have made a track up this very steep, steep. hill. Yeah, 
What's a cross made of? Steel. Steel. And it, it, it's illuminated, um, batch, uh, solar powered, um, as a witness to the whole of Australia. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't be able to see it over the whole of Australia, but, and uh, really developing industries for the local Aboriginal people in caretaking the area, in developing photography industry with Ken Duncan yeah. um, and, and various other industries. Yeah. Um, and, but the people have the vision that when that cross is erected, the light is going to go in a supernatural way from there to Uluru. Amen. To Ayers Rock. Yeah. And Jodie, by the way, is from Ayers Rock. That's her home territory. Her great-grandfather was Mr Uluru. Yes. And that from there, revival is going to hit Australia. Yeah. And go beyond Australia. Beautiful. So that's, that's the vision of the that's cross. That's on the agenda. Yeah. When uh, do you see it happening? The next 12 months? Uh, yes. Yeah. They, it's been postponed because they've had such heavy rains in Alice Springs, in central Australia, that have held it up. So is it close to Alice Springs? Uh, a few hundred k's away. A few hundred k's away. It's, it's just <laughs> it's the outback. But they're, they're wanting to build a whole um, village there for accommodation for tourists. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a prayer mountain. Amen. We yeah. need that. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing uh, your story and also the legacy that you're building for Australia and for the Aborigines and for the wider body of Christ. And uh, I just love your heart for God and for everything that he's restoring. Um, in this generation. I mean, for you to be born in the 40s, to start in a more traditional evangelical, let's say, uh, denominational institutional church, and then to experience the feeling of the Holy Spirit and operating in the gifts and to see revival on Elko Island and then in Alice Springs and I'm sure in Geraldton and everywhere else, and now to also step into the apostolic and understanding that. I think it's a beautiful journey. It's almost like uh, you, you've come up with the journey that God has been working historically. You know, we, we've had the you know, evangelical movement, then we had the charismatic movement, and you carried on with that. Now we, we're probably in the apostolic era uh, that is being restored to the forefront by the Lord, and you, you're grasping it, which is beautiful. You know, you're not missing out on anything. Yeah. And on the contrary, you're actually building up the future with the cross that will bring all of this together because everything is summed up in the cross. Yes. And um, it just reminds me that, you know, the two on the road to Emmaus, when they were going back, they couldn't understand who Jesus was until they broke bread, until he broke bread with them. Yes. So there's something powerful that when we come to the cross of Jesus, and we spend intimate time with him, we get the revelation of who he is, the resurrected Lord. Yeah. And I just pray that um, as people go to the cross, they'll get a fresh revelation of the risen Lord.
Yes. For them and for many, for, many generations. For all the sins that Satan's got in that rock for them. That's right. Yeah. What an amazing story, eh? I'm very grateful to hear John Blacker's story, and I'm sure you are as well. Thank you for your patience. The story is just beautiful, and we needed to hear this because we need to be inspired to carry on the good fight and to embrace what the Lord is doing in this time, in your generation. You have been born in this generation for something amazing, and this is the best time in history for you to be alive. So enjoy it and experience the full uh, gospel, the full kingdom aspect, the full apostolic, the fivefold, and just run with it because you will see great things. And when you get an opportunity to visit Central Australia, just visit the cross as well. Uh, tell others about what God is doing in Australia at the moment and uh, through John Blackett's ministry as well. And watch this space because great things are happening here down under. We look forward to seeing you next week at Kingdom Stories from Down Under. I am Nathaniel Costia. Thank you for joining us on Kingdom Stories from Down Under. We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate and share these stories with your wider community. And remember, every story is worth sharing, including yours.